Welcome to Fostering Solutions, a podcast that uplifts people and enterprises making positive impact in communities around the world. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Foster. This episode of Fostering Solutions is, is a special one. It's where I have, I very rarely have multiple guests, but today I'm, I'm blessed to have three guests, um, women attorneys in West Virginia, and they're gonna be re- reacting to the confirmation of Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson as a new justice of the Supreme Court. So a very special, special episode of Fostering Solutions. So welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thank you for Glad having us. Yes. So, so tell the audience about yourselves. And, you know, Stephanie, if you want to start, just tell the audience, uh, who is Stephanie Coleman? Sure. Uh, my name is Stephanie Coleman. I'm originally from Louisville, Kentucky. I went to undergrad and law school in Virginia, and I moved away a couple of times, but seems, you know, West Virginia is always home, and it's always been welcoming to me, and I've been able to pursue my legal career um, here in the many paths that it has taken. Um, Let's see. I'm glad that we're, we're having this conversation because I was talking to, you know, you tell me when to shut up and I'll shut up. Okay. Uh, that we're having this conversation because, um, you know, Kitty and I uh, are on the, we are co-chairs of the legal defense, the NAACP um, legal redress committee uh, here in Charleston. And uh, we wrote a letter to our senators that I hope we talk about. Okay. Okay. Kitty, tell tell the audience about yourself. Well, hello. My name is Kitty Dooley, and uh, I've been a practicing attorney in Charleston for more than 30 years. I took the circuitous route to the law uh, following my undergraduate work at Marshall University. Uh, I, um, through ROTC, received my commission and went into the United States Army. Uh, as a lieutenant and uh, did that for about four and a half years. Always had the desire to go to law school, uh, really following in the footsteps of not just Thurgood Marshall, but our own uh, Justice Franklin Cleckley, uh, who at that time was a professor at the law school and a practicing attorney all over the state of West Virginia, but primarily in North Central West Virginia. Uh, And that's important when we talk about having role models. Uh, But I I think in that vein and seeing the work of both the civil rights movement and the work of the the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, um, I wanted to do uh, work where the rubber meets the road road with people. And and to that end, uh, I started out with a large defense firm and worked for the West Virginia Attorney General in consumer protection and in special projects cases. Uh, But after that time, I spent the majority of my work doing uh, what I call retail law, uh, meeting people, doing plaintiff's work where they are and trying to serve a need. Uh, And certainly while um, earning a living, but being available to people 
uh, answering questions and where necessary pursuing um, justice uh, under the law. Okay, Nicole. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, and I just, I have to uh, kind of comment on something that Kitty said that really resonated with me. Um, I am a, uh, a professor at WVU Law School and the director of the clinical programs. And I have kind of a, a personal mantra that I have as my own goal for my students is that they should um, learn how to do well, do good and stay local if at all possible. And so, you know, Kitty's uh, talking about her trajectory uh, really resonated with me for that reason. Um, I'm originally from Baltimore um, and came here in the summer of 2020 uh, in order to, to take on the role that I have now. Okay. And what's that role? You want to just talk about your trajectory while you're at it? Sure. Uh, so I uh, graduated from Maryland Law and started um, working in disability practice, uh, helping people get Social Security and Medicaid benefits. Um, from there, I moved on to legal services. I'd always been a consumer advocate at heart. And so I had an opportunity to get back to that kind of first legal love um, and was, the, uh, was running a pro bono program, um, recruiting and training and supervising attorneys to help people who'd been sued in debt collection and debt buyer lawsuits. Um, and then from there, I became, um, I, I partnered a lot with the clinical program at uh, University of Baltimore and had an opportunity to do a clinical fellowship there and learn how to teach. Um, and so I've been doing that ever since. And uh, for those who aren't uh, kind of familiar, clinical law is essentially just um, working with students, supervising law students who have the opportunity to represent live clients um, with kind of a safety net with a supervisor. Okay, okay, good. And Can so I add on, add on to what I said? Yes. Um, yes. Sure. Um, I am a um, professor in the clinical uh, program at WVU. Okay. I run the low-income taxpayer clinic. So, um, we represent taxpayers against the IRS. And what I do, we are always suing the, uh, the IRS or uh, we're on the, the other side of the V is always the IRS. So we are helping people. Um, I, I've had a, a long career and I kind of glossed over that, but I think for this purpose, it would definitely be helpful for that. So um, my first, uh, connection with West Virginia, I clerked in law school for in-house at Columbia Gas Transmission. Do you remember they were here? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and um, after that, I got a job. I uh, was a workers' comp attorney for the Division of Highways and then uh, assistant um, uh, attorney general for uh, the Civil Rights Division representing the Human Rights Commission worked for Spillman Thomas and Battle. Then I uh, went in-house for uh, the Department of Administration, Division of Personnel. Mm -hmm. And then while I was doing that job, Governor um, Wise asked me to be the director of his EEO office. And so in the morning, I would work for the Division of Personnel, walk across campus, have lunch at my desk, 
and then also serve as the director for the EEO office there while pregnant, I'm going to say. Wow. And uh, then I went to work for BB&T. I was the regional employment manager, which was a wonderful opportunity, but was not the best career choice for a single mom with two small children. Um, I think uh, it took me a couple of years to use all of my frequent flyer points from my time at bb <laughs> um, Then I uh, transferred within bb to be the uh, compliance consultant, which is for the human resources department, so more like an ombudsman role. Mm. And then um, after divorce, I moved to South Carolina and I started working for a tax company. And that's where I learned about tax. I was trained there. I didn't know anything about it. I'd been working um, employment, employment discrimination type issues, personnel type issues until I, until I started working for the tax company. And then that uh, tax company went out of business and um, I was sharing custody. So every three and a half weeks, we would drive those kids to Rock Hill, North Carolina. And I call it the prisoner exchange. They don't appreciate it, but that's, <laughs> that's, where, that's where we would exchange the kids. And it was, it was really, I made the decision to move back to West Virginia because it was hard on the kids and they could see their father. And they just, we just not have to do that meet in the middle every three and a half weeks. And that's what brought me back to West Virginia. Um, I, I had the, the practice of law here has been good for me. Um, but as soon as that parenting plan ended in um, August of 2018, I was out of here. <laughs> so um, I, uh, while I was here in West Virginia, I began working for the low-income taxpayer clinic of Legal Aid of West Virginia, which is pretty much what I do for WVG. Um, but when I moved away, I was the, uh, I moved to Providence, Rhode Island, and I was the director of their low-income taxpayer clinic and um, a managed attorney on the management team. Um, what brought me back to West Virginia was um, I started dating my friend of 27 years, and uh, I was happy at home until I found out about the uh, job and at WVU and Nicole made my dreams come true. <laughs> and you mine. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So you, you're all, you know, a couple of you are in higher ed and kitties and in private practice. So what is it like being a black female attorney in West Virginia? Because, you know, our, our state is only 3% black. So I don't know what percentage of attorneys are black. So what, what is it being a black female attorney? What's it like being a black female attorney in West Virginia? Well, I don't, I don't know exactly what it's like to be anything else, uh, but you know, um, I think one of the things that made it easier for me, and I don't even know if easier is the right term, is that you know, my class at Washington and Lee was the first class of women. And there were 106 of us and six were black. So that meant in Lexington, Virginia, VMI at that time was all male. 
and WNL, the three classes above me were all male. Wow. That's so not that long to... ago. You're not no. that old. Wow. No. Yeah. So um so so in that way I was that that's made me able to accept and thrive in that type of environment. Um, and the high school, the first high school I went to um, was a predominantly Black high school. Um, the neighborhood was Black. And by the time I was in high school, they bust white kids in. I was the only Black person in AP classes. Now, as delightful as I am, statistically, that's just impossible, right? The predominantly Black school. And me being used to it, be, being used to being the only one or one of the few, it's just my life. I'm, I don't know how to judge it good or bad, um, but I've also had experiences when, because of my life experiences, I have had to be prepared for it being good or bad. Mm-hmm. And, and when I go back to the busing part, they started in Louisville forced busing when I was in the second grade. So when I was in the second grade, I was bused from my black neighborhood to a predominantly white school. And I remember second grade sitting in my desk, looking out the window at the houses and all of the houses on the outside said they had big signs of no busing. I mean, there weren't, there weren't anything profane, but it was definitely hostile signs outside the window of my second grade classroom. So um, I guess my life experiences has made me as prepared as I could be, as I can be for being one of the few or the only. Okay, okay. Kitty, what's it like? What, what's your experience been like as a black female attorney in West Virginia? Uh, it, it's been interesting, um, and I'm really interested to see what Nicole says because um, having grown up in West Virginia, in Fairmont, uh, matriculating through the schools here and Marshall University, um, and, and particularly I think my experience in the Army made it unique for me. Mm -hmm. When I returned to West Virginia to go to law school, uh, I think I carried myself as an officer in the military and comported myself in a way um, that that almost commanded respect. And uh, both in law school as well as when I when I started the practice of law. And so uh, some other people I know just based on my discussions with them have had more difficult times. So I really don't want to suggest that the practice of law for African-American women or men in West Virginia is a cakewalk because I know people have had experiences and been treated with less, uh, less than the respect that uh, they should in the court system of West Virginia and in dealing with certain judges. Mm -hmm. But that has not necessarily been my experience. But I leave room and I recognize that it has occurred. The other caveat uh, that I will bring to the conversation is having grown up in West Virginia. 
with the, the low percentage of African-American people uh, and learning, you learn to navigate the system uh, so that you can be successful. Uh, and that's not to say that um, I don't believe that, that I have any way disrespected myself uh, or my people, but I, I think you learn to be strategic uh, and then you do things in a way where I believe what Stephanie said is correct, that you're always prepared because we were taught that you had to be, you know, twice as prepared, twice as better in order, in order to make it. And we certainly saw that uh, in the record of uh, soon to be Justice Katanji Brown Jackson and uh, how she comported herself during the confirmation process. Uh, and so I think all three of us have to bring that to the table when we're ready to play this game that we're playing called the practice of law. Uh, and, and so I think we learned that and, and we learned to deal with that. And, and certainly, you know, my time at the bar in West Virginia has been quite rewarding. Uh, my work with the West Virginia State Bar, two terms on the Board of Governors, uh, and other things that I've done uh, really have held me in good stead. Uh, and I uh, have been blessed uh, to be in that position, uh, but uh, it's not always the easiest to navigate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, Nicole, you're at WVU Law School as well. So what is that? And you're fairly new to West Virginia. Mm -hmm. So what has your experience been like? Yeah, I'd say my experience, I think, has been um, colored a lot by the pandemic. Um, so I got here in July, 2020. Um, and so I think that it's difficult to kind of divorce my experience from that. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess the other thing that kind of, that puts my experience in perspective is that really the only other place I've practiced has been in Maryland where I grew up. Um, grew up there, went to undergrad there, went to law school there, have always practiced, practiced there. And so um, just over time had built community around myself. Um, being from Baltimore, which is a majority minority city, um, you know, majority black city. And um, my law school wasn't, but we had a good amount of people of color and Balsall is the biggest and kind of most vibrant and vocal um, student group. Um, and so as a lawyer, I've always had a certain number of um, black attorneys in my network that I was pretty close with. Um, and so that just kind of puts it in relief and you don't even need anything to have happened um, for that to just be a little bit of a culture shock. But then um, I really had intended to spend my whole first summer here networking and going and observing in court and meeting people. And of course that was really curtailed um, by COVID. Um, and it's kind of funny, I think there were a number of people who didn't quite know what to do with me, mostly just because of kind of my affect because uh, I am, I would like to learn from Kitty how to comport oneself as um, a military officer. I do not do that. Um, I have not mastered that kind of skill. Um, 
But so I did a lot of Zoom meetings and such to try and meet people and, and introduce myself um, as the face of the clinical program and, you know, was very kind of effusive and I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to work with you. And I think people are a little like, I don't know if I trust this kind of unfettered <laughs> enthusiasm. Um, I think it, so it took a, like a little bit of time to be embraced and to realize maybe I needed to like calibrate um, the way that I was uh, presenting myself. But um, I mean, I think that uh, so far it seems that people have, people are excited for my ideas. And um, I think it's been, it's been good so far. I, I do think that I also have a certain amount of that quality of kind of constantly being braced um, for something to happen or for, you know, to, to have to kind of collect someone um, if someone um, doesn't treat me the way that I deserve. And I think that also a big piece of that for me is, is knowing that I'm modeling a response for my students. And so kind of always being primed to have to um, deal with something in, but in a very appropriate and kind of measured way. Um, and so again, I'm still, I'm still quite new here. Mm -hmm. So I don't have, um, a lot to say as far as anything that's taken place, but just so you kind of have a sense of my um, my own thought process and kind of mental per position so far. Okay, so far so good, and you and your yeah. brief work. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. So this past week, history was made in the United States where Judge Katanji Brown Jackson was confirmed as a justice. Um, in the Supreme Court in the 232 year history of the court. So what was your reaction like? I can imagine being a black woman attorney and this happened under, you know, in your lifetime. Like what was your reaction? Kitty, you want to start? Uh, I, I think we all had these <laughs> smiles on our face. And uh, of course I, I couldn't wait for the vote. And, and I, I just found it highly disrespectful that um, yeah. Senator uh, Ryan, uh, I'm sorry, not Ryan, but uh, anyway, the guy from Kentucky uh, decided to walk away and then and then not vote in line with everyone else. But but those are the kinds of uh, micro or, or macro questions that that we see on a daily basis. But <clears throat> instead of giving in to that, we still carry our joy, and uh, you know. Of course, uh, Cory Booker, Booker mentioned that, but I think that was my reaction to seeing this in my lifetime. I think my first thoughts of having uh, an African-American female uh, as an associate justice of, of the Supreme Court, I, I assumed it would happen uh, during the Obama administration and was somewhat disappointed when it didn't happen. Um, but if you, if you go back to what we discussed before in terms of, of African-American people and particularly women and, and what our credentials need to look like and how we're going to be judged, um, I think he wanted to give Judge Jackson uh, more time. Uh, of course, she had been at the district court level at the, um, at the, uh, the Circuit Court of Appeals for the DC Circuit. Um, and then she, she had just checked every box that there was to check. Uh, and, 
And while I'm just ecstatic that this has happened, and not just that that little girls and little boys will see the, this African-American woman in this place of prominence. Um, I, I'm, I'm happy for America. And we know that Shirley Chisholm said, you know, if you don't have a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. Mm-hmm. There are some places that you cannot bring a folding chair. The Supreme Court of the United States is one of them. And now that uh, Justice Jackson will have a seat at that table, um, I believe the discussions that they have will be different. I believe that as as we work to change some laws and issues that we have, her, her lived experience will be part of that discussion and hopefully will move us toward this more perfect union and equal justice under the law. And while I do not know her personally, when I heard her speech on the lawn of the White House, and she talked about, basically, she gave us a history lesson. She went from 1619 to 2022. And when she quoted Maya Angelou, she acknowledged that it had taken one generation to go from segregation to the Supreme Court. She said so much in so little of a time and that short period. And I believe that the scope and breadth of that discussion will be part of the discussion when conferences are being held with the Chief Justice and the Associate Justices of the Supreme Court. Uh, And to me, that could be um, just all, not just awe-inspiring, but changing mm-hmm. the trajectory of law in this country. Uh, and that's why I'm so joyous about both the selection and her elevation. Absolutely. Stephanie, what, what was your reaction to the confirmation? Um, a, uh, a bundle of emotions. <laughs> um, I, was, I was happy for this talented, educated woman. I was joyful for this fellow African-American woman attorney. I did feel some angst though. I felt some angst for her because I knew that in spite of her education and her talent and her her keen legal mind, she was going to get some ridiculous questions and comments. And she did, didn't she? (laughs) She God. You know, it's like incredible. Um, and she handled it with dignity and grace, and she is now confirmed. And her children got to see that, and my children got to see that. And I would encourage everyone to to listen to her speech that she made on the White House lawn. Okay, Nicole, what was your reaction to the confirmation? Definitely, absolutely delighted. Um, And it's interesting, um, but also kind of, um, it took me back to November 2008 and that feeling um, of Barack Obama being elected um, as president. Um, But, you know, now with so much having happened in the intervening time, I'm a little more cynical. And um, that joy and gratitude and relief also comes with a lot of concern 
about a potential backlash, you know, and, and we've seen that already with, um, with Obama's election, um, you know, what was then put in place after him in response, I think largely in response to his election. And so what happens next um, after Justice Jackson? And um, even with, even when Obama was elected, um, as emotional as I was, and I had had a very dear grandmother who had just passed away about six years prior, um, five or six years prior, and just thinking about how, what that would have meant to her. And um, even as emotional as I was in 2008, you know, there was this um, feeling of relief and joy, but then going, okay, so when do we get the second one? Now we've got the first one, when do we get the second? And I definitely feel that way now too. You know, we've got the first, you know, we've, we've broken through, but we'll know that it's truly normalized when we have the second, third, fourth, and so on. Um, so recognizing that there's still so much to do um, even before she's actually taken her seat, um, but definitely very excited overall. Yes. And, and you know, with, with what uh, Nicole's saying, it's, uh, it's wonderful that we have had the first. Uh, we just need to make sure she's not the last. Right. And the same thing with regard to uh, the president, uh, because it's, it's not enough and it's never enough, but it's, it's the way that change is made in America. And so we know we've got to continue to vote. We've got to continue to advocate. You, you can't take time off. You can't take elections off. You've got to continue to, to make a, a stand. And, and, and as you know, Stephanie indicated, uh, we put a letter together that was signed by over a dozen African-American female attorneys uh, in the state of West Virginia that we sent to both Senators uh, Manchin and Capito, urging their support of uh, for the confirmation of, um, of Judge Jackson. And uh, of course, uh, you know, we, we got one for two, 50%, but, uh, but nevertheless, we persevered, she persevered, and by the end of the summer, we'll be calling her justice. Justice. Hey. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And I, and I think, what was it, um, VP Harris that says, She's the first, but she wouldn't be the last. I think when she was um, nominated uh, as, as VP, she did make the statement about that she wouldn't be the, she's the first, but wouldn't be the last. So I think we, that, that's kind of what we have to keep in our minds as we go through this. Um, I've got a couple of, of nephews and a niece, and I think it's fascinating to me that they have been born now during the time of a black president, and now we're gonna have a black justice. So I asked my my niece, she's 12, and you know, what does it mean to you? And she said it it it, it shows that black girls can do every can do anything. And it really that really touched my heart. So she's thinking, you know, she can do anything now. So what does Judge Jackson's um, nomination mean for not only attorneys, but black people in general? What do you think it means for, for um, black people in general? Let me just say this. Um, I was talking to my sister the other day and um, I'm not going to say how old she is, but I'm the youngest of my sisters, okay? And um, she said, you know, Kitty, 
I'm just holding my head up a little higher. Oh. And uh, that's what I know my parents felt when, when, ju when uh, Justice Cleckley arrived in North Central West Virginia, mm -hmm. began to represent African-American people. And we knew we had an advocate that we could go to. Uh, and so here now, we're, you know, we're talking 50 years later, uh, you know, not just little kids mm -hmm, yeah. walking around here for a while or saying, you know what, my head is a couple of inches higher <laughs> uh, because we've gotten to this point. We're going to keep working. We're going to keep, keep at it. And uh, anyway, I just wanted to share that because I thought it was so cool. Yes, that's right. All ages, all ages. So if you had the opportunity to meet Judge, soon to be Justice Jackson, what would you ask her? Nicole, you want to start? Like, what, what would you, if you had the opportunity to meet her, what would you? Yeah. Um, well, I would ask her what she feels like talking about, <laughs> just because, <laughs> I mean, I didn't, I didn't watch most of the, um, most of the confirmation hearings because I just knew that that would be an exercise in torture. Um, so I was kind of caught up at the end of each day. But, and, you know, we all knew that there were going to be, there was going to be a lot of posturing and there was going to be a lot of people um, asking questions, um, you know, fitting their own agenda and really not even speaking to her uh, and just kind of putting her in this position where she is now forced to respond to something that really wasn't a question for her. Mm -hmm. um, so, I just ask her, what, what does she want to talk about? You know, I would love to be her friend. Um, and I have to uh, brag for a sec that um, her, her dear friend, Lisa Fairfax, who spoke for her, um, was my business associations professor in law school. So I was like, I'm just two degrees of separation. <laughs> and, uh, especially now, I want someone how, like that introduce me, right? Yeah. Right? Um, and especially knowing how hardcore Professor Fairfax is, how emotional and um, and uh, excited she was just warmed my heart. Um, but I also wanted to um, respond to what you said um, just a second ago. Also, Michelle, uh, I've got a five-year-old daughter, and you know we've been reading Little Leaders and Little Legends, the the books um, about Black History. Um, I, I particularly for Black History Month, but I also think it's just been really important um, since moving here. Um, and she has fewer connections with people of color and black people especially. Um, and every page that we looked at, she was, she's so interested in all of it. And you know, we would we'd read a page about Nina Simone and then listen to a Nina Simone song and you know, and um, but every page she would go, Well, are they still alive? You know, like, can I meet this person? And I go, Well, no, that person's dead, that person's dead, that person's dead. Um, and so um, Michelle Obama is still alive, so she wanted she wanted me to arrange that. And I was like, <laughs> I would love that. Don't hold your breath. But the idea that, you know, adding on, um, adding into Black history, um, another person that's alive, mm -hmm. another person that is walking the earth at the same time as, time as her, mm -hmm. I think just contextualizes things so much. And I think it's, it's so meaningful. Um, just seeing how disappointed she was every time I had to say, you know, no, that person's not here anymore. That person's gone. You know, even Katherine Johnson, you know, you missed her, I'm sorry. Um, so I'm really excited to talk about Justice Jackson with her. Okay, yeah. Stephanie, what, what would you ask uh, Judge 
soon to be Justice Jackson, if you had the opportunity to meet her? Well, I would ask, although I'm, I, I'm not sure she would answer, I would want to know what legal argument she is most anxious to hear first. If she was setting the docket, what would you want to hear? Okay. And then we know there's so many things just bubbling up, Roe versus <laughs> Ooh, Katie, what, what would you want to know from her? I absolutely uh, would want to know um, what she, how she wanted to respond to Senators Graham <laughs> and Cruz. I got and, she would answer that and, one too. And, and no one else would ever hear it but me. What you really never spelled. ever be repeated in life. That that is what I would want to know. Oh my god! Um, just like I, when I read Michelle Obama's book, I wanted to know how she felt when the haters came for her. Right, they did, and and you know we we laugh about it, but we but we know that's sister talk. Yeah, you can deposit it, and it won't go anywhere else. But you need that person. And I know I'm not that person for her, but, but we've got to have those, um, those networks and those people mm -hmm. can deposit that negativity. And we can laugh about it. We can joke about it. We can leave it there mm -hmm. and then get back on the path where we need to be. And what's really interesting about that is uh, when, when you look into um, Judge Jackson's history, when there was a neo-Nazi flag displayed at Harvard and the African-American students, and, and I'm hoping the Jewish students uh, started protesting that. And then, and saying, you know, we're not going to stand for this kind of thing on campus. And, and, and Judge Jackson was the one who stood up and said, hey, wait a minute, we're missing class protesting we need to make sure that we're in class because if we fail out, that's exactly what they want us to do. Exactly. exactly. And that's the way that she handled uh, the confirmation hearings. It's like, you know, she's played this game before. Exactly, yeah. I know you're coming for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm going to stand and when it's all over, you know, at Harvard, I'm sure it was when it's all over, I'm going to have a bachelor's degree. When it's all over in law school, I'm going to have a Juris doctorate degree. Mm -hmm. All over, I'm going to be on the district court, the circuit court, and now the United States Supreme Court. So, so she's she's expert, mm -hmm. expert dealing with these things. But I just tell me you know I, she's an expert i would have said how you like me now <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and she probably is saying that you know. kind of like drop the mic or something right <laughs> you know just old to be a fly on the wall i know, I know. and talked after the confirmation <laughs> that's all i want to know <laughs> Now, Michelle, when you asked me earlier about the challenges of being an African-American woman and something that, that Katie just reminded me of, what has helped me stay strong, what's helped me persevere and move forward is making sure that I have a legal family, a network, a trusted friends, people who I can bounce ideas off of who may 
pick my kids up when I'm running late from court, who may say an extra prayer for me at church, who may tell me how to handle that judge. I mean, you, you, can, you can graduate and be at the top of your class at law school, but when you, you need those things as well those to meet the challenges that you will face. Mm -hmm. right. Those relationships, right? Absolutely. That, that, that attorney um, community of folks who you can rely on, absolutely. So thinking about um, the impact of the judge's confirmation, uh, do you see law school enrollment increasing or anything like that, or, or more women wanting to become attorneys? Do, do you think that would be an outcome of her, of her confirmation? I, I, I would so. hope so. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and we've got to have people who are willing to take up this profession. I mean, as we know, women are uh, around 2%, African-Americans totally are right about 5%. Mm -hmm. Have to have people who are willing to take up this challenge. And, 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 and more importantly, as we look forward to uh, Justice uh, Brown Jackson, we know that her arrival on the court is not going to change the ideological makeup. Exactly. Uh, and so there have to be people in line who will continue this work. And, and you know, African-American women and men, uh, and then other people of goodwill. Uh, and there have been many who will take on these causes and litigate them at every level up to the United States Supreme Court. Um, but but when, when we uh, when we come to the table, I think we have a special connection with our community. And hopefully we, we have some uh, built-in credibility with our community that can maybe help to elevate these issues. Um, and, you know, um, when I was first starting out in the law, I remember talking to uh, Dwayne Tinsley, who's now a federal magistrate judge. And he said to me, um, you know, he said, what do you want to do in the law? And I pretty much said I wanted to represent people. He was a prosecutor at that time. Mm -hmm. He said, it doesn't matter what you do, because there are not enough of us anywhere in the law. And that's still true. Mm -hmm. And so no matter what young people want to do in the law, the African-American men and women and, um, you know, the LBGTQ community, whomever, because there are those issues. I looked at the documentary uh, regarding Polly Murray last night. I mean, there are all kinds of issues that intersectionality that, that we've got to deal with in this generation and the next, and we need all comers because uh, there are just not enough of us who will bring the perspective that Judge Jackson, Jackson will now bring to the Supreme Court. Uh, we need that perspective in the legal profession at all levels. Mm -hmm. that, that whole uh, inclusion concept, right? Just having everyone included at the table. Nicole, you're at the law school. Do, do you anticipate, what, like, what, do you, like, what's, what have you been seeing even since her, her confirmation? What have you seen? Any changes? Um, we're really kind of in the, the season right now. So I think the, um, and I'm not on the uh, admissions committee, but um, I think the, the folks that uh, are uh, 
um, being admitted right now have already applied, but I, I would really be surprised if we didn't see a boost next year in the number of people of color and black women, especially who are um, coming to law school. Cause you know, uh, people get so inspired, you know, even by pop culture depictions, you know, the number of people that came to law school because of Legally Blonde or Perry Mason, you know, or so on and so forth. And so just having something that's kind of in the zeitgeist and people are talking about really inspires people. Um, so I think, I think we're going to, and Black women are already, you know, I think the, the most educated demographic in the country. And so I really think that attention will be focused on law school. Okay. Yeah, when, when I was starting law school, it was LA Law. I'm dating myself. <laughs> uh, yeah. So so pop culture really does pop culture as well as you know other evolutions in, in, in the news. So um, Kitty, I think you touched on this, the, the typical path from attorney to judge. You mentioned the different courts. What's the typical path? to go well, from an attorney it, to a judge? It, it just depends on, on, on what you want to do. But, but one of the things is that more African-Americans are going to law school. I think it's important um, that you seek out people, particularly uh, Stephanie and Nicole, who are within your, your sphere. Because many African-Americans uh, who were attending law school when I did were first-generation college students and not know any attorneys personally. So they weren't sure. They just wanted to be a lawyer. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think people, you, you know, you have to be intentional about what you want to do. And so particularly if you're interested in, I would say, being a federal judge, I think you would look at what um, Judge Jackson has done. You look to be a clerk uh, for uh, a federal district court or appellate uh, court judge. Uh, or Supreme Court justice, if you have that opportunity. Uh, and then uh, maybe the next step would be to work uh, as an assistant United States attorney in the federal prosecutor's office. Or, of course, uh, Justice Jackson worked as a federal public defender. Um, and so when you get into that system, maybe you would aspire to become uh, any, a U.S. attorney or an assistant U.S. attorney in an office, and particularly in West Virginia, that's how you generally would set yourself up for a judicial position. Uh, most of the people who are serving as judges now uh, have been in those roles or they've been involved in politics where they supported either a Democratic or Republican uh, presidential candidate, been, been influential at the state level, uh, and then as a result of their participation they, therein have been uh, rewarded with, an, um, with a position as um, a U.S. attorney, uh, and then after that, a judicial position. So I, mean, I think there's some politics involved in it and also kind of checking those boxes. So if that's the way you want to go, then, then you need to look at that. If you want to be a, a judge um, in, in the state court system in West Virginia, uh, there are no African-Americans who, who are sitting as circuit court judges in the state of West Virginia. 30 years ago, there were three. So when we talk about you know, making 
advances forward and then stepping back. But of course, in the circuit court positions in, in West Virginia, that's an elected position. Mm. And you have to have some involvement in politics. You have to have some money that's set aside um, that you can help to, I think, finance a campaign or put a campaign committee together that will raise enough money so that in 2020, 2022, 2024, you can run the kind of campaign in the, the county or the judicial district where you live to be successful. So that's politics, that's money, that's uh, practicing law uh, effectively, helping people, building a solid record of representation of individuals. So that's the federal and, cir and the circuit judge in, in, in West Virginia. Um, but also uh, we have family court judges. Uh, they also run for office as well. In the federal system, there are many uh, administrative law judge positions, immigration court, uh, social security, um, and um, other areas. So there are many different areas where people can look to be judges, uh, but most people generally think about the federal court and then state court, and then of course, uh, Supreme Court, and now, after Ju July, the uh, intermediate court in West Virginia, those are positions that um, where you would run as well in a nonpartisan election. Mm -hmm. um, now, one of the, because of the population of West Virginia, I will just say one of the most effective ways uh, to do that is to get appointed first, and then you're running as an incumbent. Uh, but, you know, the political. Yep. So Judge Irene Berger, what court is she in? She's a district court judge. District court judge. Okay. The Southern District of West Virginia. That's a federal appointment. Federal appointment. Okay. She's a but, prosecutor for a long time. But yeah, yeah, but prior to her appointment as a, a district court uh, judge, she served as a state prosecutor for probably 20 years. And then she sat on the bench in Kanawha County as a circuit court judge uh, for, I think, nearly um, 10 years. Okay. okay. Um, she had an interesting trajectory uh, because she, um, she went to the, um, the U.S. Attorney's Office uh, for a brief time uh, and then was elevated to the court uh, shortly after um, the uh, election and, and uh, inauguration of, of uh, uh, President Obama. Obama. Right, right, yeah. Okay, ladies, we've, you know, this time has flown by. So just one last question for all of you. Um, as you look to the future, what gives you hope? Stephanie, you want to start? What gives you hope as you look to the future? Um, progress is slow. It's slower than I, I would like, but we're getting there. But we can't rest. Mm -hmm. um, but progress gives me hope. And I happen to post a, congr a congratulations to Justice uh, Kentaji Brown Jackson on my Facebook meta page. I got so many likes and yays from all across 
the United States. I mean, it's the most popular Facebook post I have ever, <laughs> I've never posted. Uh, and and that's, that's more than African-Americans and more than African-Americans uh, attorneys. It's all over the United States. So they, there are people who are happy for this appointment and com uh, uh, confirmation, mm -hmm. um, but the progress, I would say. Nicole, what gives you hope? My students, uh, it's kind of a pat answer, I guess, but really my students, um, they have so much energy and drive and enthusiasm and creativity. Um, so that really fills my cup um, as well as, you know, folks like y'all and other attorneys um, who are kind of in my circle and that I get to encounter um, but just the, the heart of the people that I get to interact with, um, it keeps me going and it makes me be really optimistic for, for the future. Wonderful. Kitty, what gives you hope? Uh, knowledge and um, the procurement uh, and the, the uh, and seeking the truth uh, gives me hope and uh, trying to help to bring that truth to the masses. And uh, I was speaking with my, my goddaughter almost all, all the way through the process. Uh, we were texting back and forth and she said, she said, Kitty, my son, who's about five, was asking me why this, this is so important because she was watching TV and usually they get all of her time. And he was saying, well, mom, why is this important? Um, and it gives me hope that the five-year-olds will know mm -hmm. there was a president, Barack Obama, and that they will know that there's a Justice Katanji Brown Jackson. And they won't have to say, I didn't know if it would happen in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. I know it's a, it's a different time when, I, when, I, when, I, when you look through their eyes, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is just, I don't want to say normal, but it, it's normal for them. You know, it's like, it's, yeah, it's, you know, we, we can have a black president and black person on the, you know, black woman and on the, as a Supreme Court justice. It's amazing, amazing. Thank that, you, that, ladies. That gives me hope. Absolutely. Gives me hope too. Thanks so much. It's my Thank pleasure. You. Thanks for having Thanks, us. Dr. Foster.